Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your spirit. Jesus. Jesus. Just want to thank the, the praise team. I don't get to do that all the time publicly. I want to thank the praise team for leading us in worship this morning. Amen. Well, I am honored to have the opportunity to share the word today, and uh, I feel blessed to do that in this house, feel blessed that Pastor Daniel um, has given me the opportunity, and uh, blessed to deliver the word in an atmosphere where the Lord resides. My, my wife gives her greetings. Um, she wishes she could be here. Uh, she's, I believe, watching online. I love you, honey. I love you. Um, I'm going to keep moving. <laughs> um, but uh, I'm, I'm honored to do that. And uh, what I'd like to do to start is uh, I'd, like, I'd like us to, to, if you have a Bible, um, I'd like you to turn to Hebrews 11. And let's not put it up on the screen yet. Um, Hebrews chapter 11. If you have a Bible, you have a phone, I'm not going to browbeat you into using your Bible or, or, or reading from the Word um, the entire message. But just to start off, I really, I really just felt led to do that this morning. Find Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11 is uh, right after Hebrews 10. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, if you got it, say, I'm cool. All right. Um, everybody stand, please. Sometimes I, you know, some churches do that all the time. Every time they read uh, the word at the beginning, you stand for the reading of the word. And I just think it'd be cool um, this morning for us to do that um, as we, so I'm going to read it. I just kind of want you to follow along as I, as I read this. We're going to go Hebrews 11, and we're going to start with verse 8, I believe, and we're going to go 8 through 10. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. And then I want you to read verse 10 out loud together. I don't care if you have a different uh, version. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. If you could remain standing just for a moment. Um, I, I'm convinced of this. I'm convinced that if a man or a woman has the opportunity to share the word of God with a group of people or with a, one individual person, I'm... I'm convinced it's a privilege and an honor, but I'm also convinced that generally there's two things, there's two ways of generally delivering the word of God and how it is received. One way is, is, is a preacher or a teacher delivers the word, and as they deliver a message, they, the message is focused on something that you can find a parallel in your own life. You can find something in, in the book that you can see, boy, I can see myself in that. Some people say that you find yourself in the book. How many of you found yourself in the Word of God? All right, so you see a parallel that exists in His Word. It could be a portion of Scripture. It could be a narrative in the text. It could be just a particular story. An example would be a preacher gives a message about young David stepping up when nobody else would and facing Goliath and defeating him. And then the preacher gives you that example and exhorts you to recognize that you can be strong and courageous in the giants in your life. That's, that's a parallel word. You're grabbing onto something in God's word. I think there's a second way that, 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 that there's a highlight of something in Scripture. The second way is generally is, is a message given that points in the direction of the very character and personality of God. That's effective too. One of the reasons it's effective is even though the Bible is, I don't really like this term, people call it an ancient text. The problem with just calling the Bible an ancient text is it is relevant right now. Right? Micah chapter 3, verse 6, 
God says about himself, he says, I am God and I changeth not. So if it's true about God 4,000 years ago, it's true today. So, so you'll hear a message where, there, where the, the focus is the personality and the characteristics of God. And if it's true then, it's true today. Now, a preacher can deliver a message. Pastor Daniel can come up here and he can preach a word. But the reality is, for you to walk away with something that actually means something for your life, it requires something called revelation. You have to grab hold of a revelation. Now, I think sometimes we talk about revelation as like this mystical thing that just kind of happens like you open up the Bible and like light beams shoot out of it and hit you in the face or, you know, it's like, oh, if you see somebody reading their Bible with shades on, you know they got revelation. <laughs> or like the preacher is preaching a message and he's like really fire and he's going for it and then literally his tongue catches on fire and floats above your head. Like then it's revelation. God is capable of, of doing that, I'll warn you. But revelation is not just this mystical thing. To, revelation, by definition, is to reveal. If I'm going to reveal something, I'm going to, I'm going to pull back the curtain on something that is already there. So you can rest assured that if you hear a message and, God, and you have a revelation in the midst of it, you open up the Word of God and you read it for yourself and you have a revelation, you pray to the Father and He speaks to you and it's a revelation, you can be certain that whatever has been revealed to you already existed long before you ever heard it. Does that make sense? So when you, God, you hear a revelation, God is not suddenly going, you know what, i got a new thing I want to say today. If it's something that's revealed to you, it already existed, and it has existed for eternity. And it is proven. Amen? It's proven. There, there's uh, years ago, about 12 years ago when I was a youth pastor, I was taking a group of kids somewhere, driving across this little ditch, with this little guardrail, little tiny bridge, and one of the girls, one of the 14-year-old girls, started losing her mind because we were driving over a bridge. How many of you, you can be honest, like bridges aren't the most comfortable thing for you? Are there a few of you? Okay. I, I never knew that people didn't like bridges. But the problem with not liking a bridge is you don't like any bridge, right? The problem isn't actually the bridge, it's just the concept of driving over something that you don't feel like is supported by earth enough, right? But the problem is if you have an issue with bridges, and old, if you drive over an old bridge, you're like, this bridge is really old. It, it could collapse, like right now. It's so old. But if you drive over a new bridge, you're like, this bridge is so new. Nobody's driven over this bridge. It's not tested. Right? But a revelation from God is tested, and it is sure, and it's eternal, and it goes on forever and ever and ever. So my heart for you today in the moments that we have is I want you to be open to a revelation from God. Not because I have some amazing thing to say, but if, if you don't have a revelation from, from the Word of God, you came all the way to church, what are we doing here? What are we doing here? We can get together anywhere, but for, to come together corporately in Holy Spirit to speak something to you. And here's the thing I know. God wants to reveal Himself to every one of you today. So the issue is not Him, but are we open and are we hungry? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come before you today and we thank you, God, that you are a God that wants to reveal your truths. You're a God who wants to reveal, Lord, the things that, that, that perhaps you've kept hidden thus far, that there are things today that are on your mind. There are things, Lord, that have to do, come Holy Spirit. There are things, Lord, that have to do with with the message you've given me, and there are things you want to share that have nothing to do with anything I'm about to say. But Lord, my prayer, first and foremost, is that you would speak to hearts today. Speak to our hearts. We're open to you. Just right now, just take a moment. Just take 15 seconds. 
just in any way you can physically to demonstrate that you're open. I don't care if you even, you may know God forever and you may not even know God, but just do something in the natural that says, hey, I'm open to whatever you got from me, Lord. Maybe raising your hands, maybe opening your hands to the Lord, maybe looking up to the heavens, just something in the natural that says, I am open, I am open, I'm open to what you have to say. Come, Holy Spirit, speak to our hearts, speak to my heart. Fill us with your life and your truth. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. amen. You may be seated. So this key verse that we're talking about in Hebrews 11, Hebrews 11 is a very popular, uh, famous, well, uh, well-read chapter in the Bible. Many people refer to it as the Hall of Faith. So through Hebrews 11, the writer of Hebrews is, de- is describing all these giants in, in the Old Testament who by faith did something and saw something accomplished. So the writer gets to verse 8 and begins to talk about Abraham. But actually what I want to share today is not about Abraham. Um, I, I love Abraham. I, I, I honor the, the beginning point of Abraham in the beginning of the faith. Many of you know Abraham was called by God. He's the first that, that was called by God specifically and given a promise to walk in, became the father of many nations. Love Abraham. He had many sons. Many sons. Had Father Abraham. I'm, I'm one of them. And so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. All right, so there's even a song that everybody knows. All right, we've we properly honored Abraham. Um, but but w- the reason I want you to read this passage is because it gives context that I believe in revealing something about God that I think is amazing and is on my heart to share with you today. It talks about Abraham, and it says that by faith he went, by faith he dwelt in the land. And then it says that he, in being there, that you know, he had Isaac, his son, and then Jacob came. And it says they, they waited for a city which has foundations. If you, and if you know anything about Abraham, Abraham lived his life living in tents. How many of you know if you live in a tent long enough, you're looking for a place with a foundation, right? So he was a tent dweller, but it says that he waited for a city which had foundations, whose builder and maker was God. The NIV says who's, who, who the architect and builder is God. I want to talk today about a characteristic of God, God as a builder and God as an architect. Now, for, for our, our natural purposes, this, I'm going to use the term architect probably quite a bit here in the next few minutes. An architect is essential. Like, this building would not, where you sit right now does not exist without an architect, okay? You don't have it. You don't, you don't, you don't come up with with a, a huge facility and put all the things in place and have everything just right without an architect. How many of you know that? Say, you need an architect. You have to. And wh- essentially what an architect does, an architect, an architect begins with an idea of what am I going to do? How, what do I want things to look like? They have this idea, they start with an idea, that idea then has to become a vision. So it's not just a conceptual thought, but they begin to have this, that I'm going to focus in on this idea. I have a specific vision for what I want to do with this idea. And then that vision becomes a design. Now in their minds, and maybe in some doodles, they're designing something based on an idea that became a vision. And now it's a design. There's probably some, any architects in the room? We have a couple. There's an architect back there, okay. Um, I'm probably getting some of these terminology wrong about architecture um, in delivering the message, so please don't shout out a correction at me. <laughs> and I, I won't come down to your draft table and tell you how to use a T-square. Um, I'm, just, I'm just kidding. Um, but th- there has to be an idea, there has to be a vision, has to be a design, okay? And, but in order for anybody to do something with that, it actually has to be written down in some, in some way. So we have up here an example of that. I don't know if the lights are going to bounce off the one too much to see. But I have up here, if we could take the camera off me and try to focus in on, on this. Can we try that? Could we, could we zoom in on? Oh, beautiful. 
Beautiful. Okay. So this, this, is, this is an example of what that would look like. Generally speaking, we call that a blueprint. I mean, you heard of a bl blueprint. Now, blueprints are not generally blue anymore. It had to do with transparent dye and all this kind of stuff. We still call them blueprints. But a blueprint is a drawing of that design that the architect has and the intent for it. Right? So in order to have... So right here, I've got, the, I've got stacks from a, a good friend of mine. These are blueprints for buildings that actually exist now. But they wouldn't have existed if somebody didn't make this. How many of you know that you can, have, you can be a carpentry wizard, but if you don't have an actual plan, what are you going to do? You're just going to nail nails into a board, put some screws into a board, just, I'm going to frame in something. I'm just going to do something. You have to have an actual plan. My family was growing yet again this year, and my wife and I decided we're going to do some renovation in the house. So we, we put on a, a half bath in a laundry room off of our living room. And so... My father-in-law and my dad, we got together, and we spent a couple days all prepping the area, talking a lot about what are we going to do here. So on two-by-fours and napkins and the back of paper bags, we kept drawing different things. That was a blueprint, very crude, but we had to have some idea of what are we going to do here. Everybody on the same page. How many of you know that God is an architect, which means he's a planner? God plans things. I believe that, that, that for all of creation and all of the world, God has a blueprint for it. I believe that every detail is measured out. I have to believe that. I'm going to pause really quick. I thought about this this week. There are some people, some of you, when I say God has a blueprint for every detail, that makes you a little bit nervous. Just a little bit. I think it's important that from time to time we talk about what we believe and why we believe it. I believe that God has, has, every, has every detail. Some of you go, well, wait a minute, what about free will? Are you saying God predestines everything? Well, his word says that. Are you saying we don't have free will? No, we do have free will. His word says that, too. So which is it? Yes. <laughs> right? So it's, it's, it is both at the same time through the Holy Spirit. Because here's what I believe is the way I'll put it just for a doctrinal semantics type deal here. God has a plan and a design and a blueprint for every person in this room. But a part, the massive filter for his plan is that he wants you to choose how you want to participate in it. Okay? So... Don't get, too, don't get too bogged down with, oh, what are you talking about? What do you mean God has a plan? Does that mean every bad thing that happened to me, God did it to me? No. But it passed through his hand. I'll, I'll talk about that in a moment. But God is a planner. There's a, there's a, there's a, a, a familiar quote to me, and maybe to some of you, uh, I don't know who, I think, it's, I think it's John Maxwell puts it in some of his books. I don't think it's John Maxwell. I have found over time, I'm not a huge quote person, but I found that, Quotes, if, if they sound really intelligent and nobody knows who said it, it's Benjamin Franklin. It's like, every time. It's like, one day, one day I want to come across this book, like the Benjamin Franklin quote book. It's like, everything. Except, if it's really clever and kind of silly, it's Mark Twain. Every single time. I don't, I don't know what that is. But anyhow, the quote, we'll just say it's Benjamin Franklin. The quote is... If you fail to plan, you plan to fail. In other words, not planning, you're failing in some way. You, you are setting yourself up for complete failure. How many of you know that God has a plan? God does amazing stuff. Do you think he does amazing stuff by accident? If the, the, the scriptures say that for this purpose was the Son of God manifest to destroy the works of the enemy. There's a purpose to God. He does things on purpose. To do things on purpose, you have to have a plan. You have to have an idea. You have to have a vision. How many of you know God's got a vision for your life? How many of you know that God has a design for your life? It's not an accident. This stuff doesn't, doesn't just happen. It doesn't just appear. God has a specific design and plan for what he wants to do. My, my, my four daughters, 
how many of you know that if I gave them all a 3,000-piece puzzle, my girls are nine, five, three, and one. If I gave them a 3,000-piece puzzle and I put it on the dining room table and I said, girls, have at it. There's two scenarios that would play out. <laughs> One would be my nine-year-old would be immensely frustrated trying to put the puzzle together, while my five-year-old would probably be throwing puzzle pieces at her sisters. My three-year-old would be trying to stack puzzle pieces. My one-year-old would probably be trying to fit as many puzzle pieces in her mouth as possible. Okay. The other scenario, if I came back into the room after I gave him that mission, is that the nine-year-old would have all, all the three younger ones tied up in the corner <laughs> so she could work on the puzzle. Because in order to accomplish something, there has, there has to be a cohesiveness that we all agree that there's a plan, right? My kids wouldn't be very effective at their ages of actually walking out a plan that complex as putting together this huge puzzle. But there is a plan. Watchman Nee once said that um, in one of his books, there's no accidents in the life of a believer. I believe that. I have to believe that. If I don't believe that, then I am, then I, what, what my doctrine has to suggest is that I somehow believe that there are things that will happen in my life or your life that it'll occur and God will go, oh. Angels, we got to talk a little bit about this. Didn't see this one coming. There's no accidents in the life of a believer. Everything passes through his hands, and he has a recognition of what that looks like. In my mind, though, I think there are a couple things that, that we tend to struggle with as God as an, as an architect. At least I do. And maybe you'll find some, some uh, you can identify a bit with my, my suffering. How many of you, and now, now when I ask this question, I'm going to preface with me. Every one of you, you're not allowed when you answer this question, you cannot grab someone else's hand and raise it for them, okay? <laughs> Nod your head that you understand and you're going to, okay, thank you. All right, you can't do that. How many of you from time to time, every once in a while, on like your worst day, occasionally, like just sometimes, you'd be willing to admit that you like to be in control? Okay? Okay, all right. We have a smattering of hands have gone up. The, the hands, there are hands that went up that are very honest people. There are other hands that did not go up because you had the thought, if I raise my hand, he, make me, he might make me do something that's out of my control, right? So it's okay. I know that you're out there. It's okay. But control is an issue for some people. Sometimes, maybe not all the time, but if God is this master architect and he has every detail in place, a part of the challenge is recognizing he has complete control. And to come to Christ and to walk in salvation is, an, is a total relinquishing of control. That's a terrifying thing if you think about it, right? Maybe some of you are real, real spiritual and you're so mature that you're like, well, I, I dealt with that one time, but I'm good now. But that can be challenging. He, he has every detail. But how, do, how many of you know that to be born again means that you surrender everything? Right? And here's the other scary thing. You don't get to dictate the terms of surrender. Nobody does. That's not a surrender. Anybody ever, everybody know what happened on October, 8th, October 19th? 1781. If I gave you long enough, somebody would be able to figure it out. I'll tell you. It was the effective end of the American Revolutionary War. October 19, 1781. Battle of Yorktown finished, and the British, the British Empire surrendered to the young United States military and several other countries that joined in because they didn't like Great Britain. And the, the war went on a couple years longer because it took a while. They didn't have cell phones to tell people, hey, the war's over. So it took some time to get word that, hey, the, the war's over and do all the treaties. But the war ended essentially at the Battle of Yorktown. 
famously the general for the British Empire, General Cornwallis, who lost that battle after about a year of fighting, he, he, he suddenly, famously, became sick when it was time to, to surrender. So he sent one of his underlings to go surrender to General Washington. Now, I think that he might not have felt quite as sick if he could have dictated the terms of surrender, right? Let's say that the American Revolutionary War is ending, and let's say that the British Empire comes to General Washington and says, hey, it's been six long years of fighting, and you guys win. You guys, you guys are amazing, and, and you know what? You're right. You're right. We've lost thousands of lives. The bloodshed needs to be over. We're going to say for all of history that you win, okay? All right? We're good with that? Okay. One, one, one simple thing, though. Just want to let you know that from now on, from now on, all the tea has no tax on it, okay? I know this whole thing started with some type of tea party in Boston or something about taxes and stuff. So you know what? We're not going to tax you anymore. In fact, we, Great Britain, we're going to send over free tea. You can have it for free. All the Earl Grey you want. Just take tea. Tea, tea, tea. Breakfast tea. And we're just going to give it to you, okay? It's, but you'll still, be a, you'll still be a colony of Great Britain, right? Okay? But we're going to give you lots of tea. So we're going to fix this whole thing. Well, that, that wouldn't have worked. Why? Because they were surrendering. You don't get to say when you surrender, I surrender this, but here's kind of the terms of what that's going to look like. If General, if General Cornwallis could have done that, he probably would have not felt quite as sick. But when you surrender, you say, everything, God, is in your hands and in your control, which is good. Isaiah 55, God speaks to Isaiah and says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways. But how many times for every single one of us do we do this? We say we surrender to God, and yet we want to keep the same stinking thinking, backwards, sin nature way of doing things and think, well, I'm just going to keep doing that too, right, God? How many of you have found that doesn't work? I know for me that doesn't work. It doesn't work that way. The other thing is with, with, with control is if, if you have a struggle with giving God total control in your life, you live in fear. Because to not give him control is to suggest that you're not really sure what his love really means. So you kind of need to keep a few cards close to the vest, right? But the problem is, is if you live in fear, even hearing God's word, it takes on a different tone to you. Somebody else could say the word to somebody else and they'll go, hallelujah. But you might hear the word and it sounds a little different. So 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, I think. When you, if you were to hear that in living in fear of giving up control, you hear, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor any heart has known what God has prepared for those who love him. Like you hear that as, oh my goodness, what is this thing God has prepared that I haven't seen and I haven't heard? It's not in my heart. What could he possibly do to me now? It's fear. Are you with me today? Now, maybe some of you can identify with that. Another thing that happens, I think, with God as an architect is we, we have a tendency... How do I say this? I'm trying to edit myself. I'm not doing a very good job of it. Um... We have a tendency to, we want a heads up from God. How about that? How many of you know that God's, God's not super great at giving a heads up? Maybe just for me. Like, I, I've had those moments where, like, something happens, and I'm like, God, like, you can just do me a solid next time, God. You know, just give me a little heads up. Like, how would you feel, those of you that are married, how would you feel you come home from work, like, hey, honey, I'm going to jump in the shower. You get in the shower, and you come out of the shower, and you can go to your room to get dressed, and you got, like, your, your friends are over just standing there looking at you. Like, after getting past the feeling of that you want to die, the next thought you, you, most of us would have is, why didn't, my, why didn't my spouse just give me a heads up? 
Just say, hey, rap on the door. Hey, company came over. Thanks, hon. Right? I'm just going to be honest. There's been times that I have felt totally exposed, and I'm like, Lord, where was, where was the heads up? How, could, how come you couldn't let me know? Am I talking to anybody today? Anybody want to? <laughs> okay. We want a quick peek. Just, just give me a little peek of what's happening. How many of you have felt that? Like, you're just like, man, I'd love to just kind of know just a little bit what's on the end. Just, if I just get around this corner, what's over there, God? If you, if you know, God, if you got this whole blueprint worked out, just, just give me a little something, something over there, right? Just so I can, just so I can, fig, just, it'll just help me immensely. I'll know what to do. How many felt that way? Be honest. Yeah? Just, just God, give me, give me a quick heads up. Here, here's the thing. Rarely does having access to all this knowledge about the future actually benefit anybody. It didn't happen in Scripture. Jesus lives his ministry walking with 12 disciples that he tells constantly. If you go through the four Gospels, you see that frequently, and probably more than that, Jesus is saying, hey, I'm going to go away. And hey, I'm going to come back. And hey, this thing has to happen for the word to be fulfilled. And hey, see what, the, see what Isaiah says in the Old Testament? There's some things going to happen that's going to have to do with me. I have to give myself up. He's saying all these things. But don't worry, I'm going to come back. And it's going to be amazing. Right? And then he is crucified on the cross, and he's buried, and the disciples are like, oh my goodness, what just happened? Right? Now, but it's not like Jesus didn't tell them. Like, he told them. And, I, and I'm not judging the disciples. I think we do the same thing. Oftentimes, knowing every little detail that we think we really want to know this doesn't actually benefit us. It doesn't, because here, here's a couple issues with that. If, if you had all control of how much knowledge you could get, you had a heads up, I'm telling you, some of us would avoid every hard thing possible, right? If you know something hard's coming, you're going to go, ooh, so, so next week this bad thing's going to happen? All right, I'll figure out a way that I don't have to deal with that. Right? And some of us, if we had that information, if we knew every, blue, every part of this design, do you know what would become, what, what would fill our attention would be this. This would be way more important than relationship. How many of you know knowing knowledge about the future does not guarantee relationship with Christ? <laughs> Let me say that again. Having knowledge of the future does not guarantee a relationship with Christ. But he's a master architect, and he has all the designs. But interestingly enough to me, the second thing this morning is he's a, he's a builder. Like, you would think the architect would hand over the design plans to you. Say, Jerry, take this. Carl, take this. Take what, I, what I'm giving you, and you can, you can build, build this thing. But he doesn't do that. It's like God has such, he has so much fun being an architect. He's like, I'm going to be the builder too. I'm not going to contract this out. I'm just going to do it. And he does an amazing job of it. If we let him. Because what, what, what God's design is, is God says, you know what? I'm going to give you the freedom every day to continue to surrender. Isn't that amazing? But it is amazing. He says every day you have the choice to continue to surrender to me. It's incredible. His word says that unless the Lord builds the house, they that labor, labor in vain. In other words, you can try the best you can to build what God wants to build in your life without him. But if you don't have him, you do it in vain. You do it in vain. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 4 says, every, every house that's built is built by someone, but God's the one who builds the house. So to, to actually see, how many of you want to see, uh, see your life be built? Raise your hands. There should be hands up all over this room. Why does God, but why does God not 
just give it, leave it up to us. Because here's the deal. I believe this. God is interested in the process. He's interested in the steps it takes to get to where this ultimate plan is. You see this blueprint up here. Some of you can see it. There's a blueprint down here. It's kind of an overhead shot of what this facility looks like. And then at the top, there is a, an artist's rendering of what the final completed project is supposed to look like. He knows what it's supposed to look like, but he's interested in the process. The process, to me, is a personal thing. Because God is, not only is he interested in just coming up with a plan, but he's interested in how that plan is actually walked out. Here's an example. For my wife and I, I'll just take our girls for instance. I, we have four daughters. And those of you that have, have at least a few daughters, you've, you've heard it all, whether you've raised them or not. Someone finds out you have a few girls, and I, I have a sense of humor about it. But the amount of times I have heard, oh, watch out when they get older. Oh, what? Geez, well, how are you going to pay for all those weddings? Or, wow, you're going to have to have like extra shotguns at the house for when the boys come over. Or, yeah, you think they're good now, but wait till they're teenagers. I, I get that. I, I get that. I mean, I, I get that. I don't know if I get that, but you know what I mean. I have a sense of humor about it, but here's, here's the thing I passionately feel my responsibility and my wife's responsibility is that we engage in the process with these girls. Does that mean that I don't think that challenges will come? Certainly not. Challenges will come. It's the world we live in, and I'm not perfect. My wife, on the other hand, love you, honey. I'm not perfect. So my girls will have a process, but my heart for them, I have a responsibility to see them raised up to be warriors for Christ. I believe that. And there is a process for them to get to that point. They don't wake up tomorrow and they just are that. If you see anybody who, who, who is a, a, a young teenager and they're, and they're living strongly for the Lord, you better believe that somebody's behind the scenes was helping them get to that point, amen? Somebody was. It wasn't an accident. It's a part of the plan. And me as a parent, I have a responsibility. So just as much as I'm responsible for wiping bums and, and feeding Gerber food and all these different things that you do with babies, I have every bit as much of a responsibility to the process when their hormones are raging. I believe that. I believe that. I believe that for every parent. We all have a responsibility. Again, is it going to be perfect? No. But it's a process. God's interested in the process for you. There are steps for you to get to where you need to be. Here's another thing I know is true. For some of you, if I asked you right now and I said, give me a dream. Give me a dream that you have that in five years you want to see where you are. Say a dream. Say a dream. If I said, give me a dream, and in five years you want, to, you want to be in this particular place. If I said that to you, and I said, what do you need to do to get there? Most of you would begin to tell me things that are very on the surface, things that are practical. Well, I probably need a little more training in this. Well, I probably need a little capital. I need to get some money to do this. Uh, probably I'll need, to, I'll need to have this. And all those things will be true. But if that dream were to come to pass, and you'll look back, and some of you can do this right now, of how many things happened in your life that got you to where you are today that weren't just the surface things. It was the year you spent with one of your parents dying. Most of us don't talk about that as the thing that is going to get us somewhere. It's the season you spent in financial turmoil, not knowing how you were going to get out of it, but you turned your eyes to God and you saw him be faithful even though it wasn't easy. For most of us, if we had a choice, we would avoid the very things that God uses to grow us up the most. Most building in my life has not happened through the fun things. Amen? How many, 
I wish I had a witness about that. How many of you, you feel that way? You can testify, boy, I, I was not interested in that dysfunctional relationship with that sibling of mine. But God has proven to be faithful in the midst of it. And I, a part of who I am is I've seen God's grace in the midst of it. One of my, probably my favorite verse in Scripture is 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10. It says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace was not without effect. I can look back on my life and I can point to times, moments, seasons, and places where his grace moved in my life in very difficult circumstances. I don't care if you're rich. I don't care if you're poor. I don't care if you're black. I don't care if you're white. I don't care if you're a little bit of both. I don't care, I don't care what color your skin is. I don't care if you're tall, if you're short. I don't care what, where you grew up. Every person has a process to get where they need to go. Every person. Every single person. And the purpose of the process is not simply just to get to a point. It's because God loves the process. He loves the process. What would we as parents be like if we didn't love the process? We give birth to children, and then we just wait for destination. Nobody would do that. Nobody would do that. That sounds ridiculous. But God is interested in the process. I have some, I have some tools up here. A hammer, a saw. Some of those things hurt. Process is not always easy. But every person that's gone somewhere has only gotten there because they allow God to build in their life. I want God to build in my life. He's got this design plan that he has totally memorized, that he keeps pretty rolled up, and occasionally gives me a little bit of an idea and a little bit of a clue. But you know what? I'm okay with that. Sometimes I have to every day tell myself I'm okay with that. Because ultimately, if you don't have process, you don't have relationship. He's interested in relationship. Unless the Lord builds the house, they that labor, labor in vain. Also know that God, he completes things. How many of you started a project and you didn't finish? <laughs> Spouses don't elbow one another. He finishes things. Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 says that I'm confident in this, that he who started this work, that he's going to complete it to the end. God is a builder who finishes what he starts. He is the author and the finisher, and is interested in all the things that happen in the in-between. Now, that's not this brand new concept for most of you. People talk and preach about the process and the journey a lot, or, or the way that they look at things is they say, well, you know, I, look at, the, at, at a cemetery, at the gravestone. You got two dates and the dash in the middle. That's what really matters, because it's true, but you don't get to where you're going to be just because you're focused on where you want to be. You get to where you want to be and where God wants you to be because you focus every day on what you actually have control over. If you want to have a healthy marriage and you want to have one of those marriages that lasts for like 60 plus years and you love each other to pieces after 60 plus years, you don't get there just because you take a picture of a healthy couple that's in their 80s and, post, and just put, put that picture all over your house. And you go, well, honey, every time we walk around, now we can see a couple who's there. What a great example for us. Now we're going to get there. No. I mean, maybe that would help in a weird way to some people. Maybe. People would be confused when they come over to your house. <laughs> but you get there because you make the choice every day. The only moment you have any responsibility and control over is right now. That's why I talked about Revelation at the beginning. Right now, you have control over this moment. And now you don't. It's gone. You have control over this moment, and now you don't. Every moment of our lives is a part of a process that gets us somewhere. It gets us somewhere. Here's what I know. I'm closing now. 
But as I close, the process that God has for you doesn't, doesn't close. God's plan and design for you doesn't restart on Sunday mornings and then it takes a break for a while. His process for you continues on and on and on. I'd like us to stand together quietly. I want to give us an opportunity for a simple response today. Very simple response. Philippians chapter 3 says, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. And it says, In all your ways, acknowledge him. He'll direct your path. Let me tell you about the God that I serve. I serve a God that before time began, he said the name Benjamin. And his voice has reverberated throughout all of eternity. And the day came for me as a young boy that I heard my name called. I responded to him, I laid down my nets, and I followed him. Before time began, I serve a God who said, Derek. Before time even began, he said Derek's name. Before time began, he said Cindy's name. He gave you an opportunity to respond to him and say, I'm going to follow you. I serve a God that when, when, when you have people surrounding you that are accusing you and pointing the finger at you and telling you that you screwed up again and telling you that once again you've done the wrong thing, I serve a God whose mercy and his goodness pursue you every day. I serve a God that when you feel like you have no peace and you feel like you don't know where to turn, you feel like you live in a storm all of the time, that nothing ever changes, that there's difficulty. I serve a God whose word said his very name is like a strong tower and that the righteous will run unto it and they'll find safety and they'll be glad. That's the God that I serve. I serve a God that when you're struggling and you feel weak and you feel like you, there's no way you could ever continue to move on, I serve a God who's limitless whose well never runs dry. I serve a God that when you feel like you are on death's door, doorstep and you've dealt with physical ailments and you can't go on any longer, I serve a God who offers the bread of life as himself and says, come and dine with me. I give you abundant life. That's the God that I serve. But this verse in, 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 in Proverbs 3 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways... Acknowledge him. He's going to make your path straight. He's going to direct your steps. This term acknowledge is really important. It's everything. When it comes to this whole idea uh, that God is this architect, that he has this big design for you, that God's this builder, that he has, he has the tools in place to use to actually see growth and discipleship happen in your life, those things don't happen unless one thing happens all the time that you acknowledge who he is. So for some of you today, you may, you may not be in a place that you say, boy, boy, preacher, I, 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 live a, I live a lifestyle of acknowledging the Lord. But you may say, you know what? I don't have any peace. We sang that song earlier about cover me, peace of God. I don't have it. You may say, boy, I've got a really big decision to make in my life, and I don't know what to do. And if I make the wrong decision, I could really screw things up for my life. How many of you know that you really discover what your true theology is, what you really believe about God, when you're in a tough spot and you have a decision to make? 
You can sing a song and you can say all these things about how wonderful and amazing God is and he's good and he's faithful and he loves us so much. But until you're in a place where there's a real fire burning, crucibles for, for silver, the furnaces for gold, the Lord tests the heart of a child. Until you're in that place, you don't really know what you believe. Some of you are in that place. And some of you, if you're honest, would say, I don't really know what I believe. That's okay. But maybe this morning, you could just take a moment. This is the moment you have control over. I don't have control over this moment for you. You have control over this moment. You could say, God, I want to acknowledge you. I can't, I'm not, I'm not prepared to acknowledge, to, to acknowledge everything, but I know you have a plan. And so what I want to do is right now in this moment, I want to acknowledge you above this circumstance. Because here's the thing, we don't serve and celebrate a plan. We serve and celebrate the planner. I want to acknowledge who you are. So just a couple, couple specifics, and I want to give you an opportunity. I want to pray with you this morning before we dismiss. You need peace in your life. You just feel like there's a storm all over the place. I want to give you an opportunity to respond. And, and simply all you're doing is you're saying, God, right now I want to take just a few moments. I want to acknowledge you in the midst of my storm. Some of you have a big decision to make. I felt, I felt, boy, I felt that this week. I feel like there's, there's some people here today, you've got a big decision to make, and you don't know what to do. I want to give you an opportunity, as the word of the Lord has been delivered and in his presence, for you to acknowledge him as Lord of your decision. Some of you say, I don't really know what God's plan is for my life. I hear, Pastor, I hear you talking about he has his plan and he's got this whole thing going on. He's going to build this thing, but I have no idea. I want to give you an opportunity right now to simply acknowledge him. So right now, I want to give you that chance. That's you. You fit any of those categories specifically, and you just say, I want to take a moment to acknowledge you. I want you to come forward right now. As a step of faith saying, God, I want to respond to you. I trust you, God. I trust you, Lord. This could be your moment right now. Right now, this could be your moment. This could be a moment that you have longed for. This could be a moment that is in his blueprint for your life, that he's going to do something. We sang a song earlier that... Spirit of the living God, do what only you can do. As you come forward, I just want you to put yourself in a posture and a position to receive what God has for you. Jesus. As people are coming, if you, if you have a, a life of prayer, I want you to begin right now, just for, for a minute. I want you to begin to pray right now where you are. Begin to pray. Begin to let prayers for those coming forward. Begin to lift, lift up your prayers for them. Lift them up to the Lord right now. Come on, church. Come on, church. If you've got a prayer life, begin to pray right now. I believe there are people that have an opportunity for a moment right now to acknowledge God for who he is, that he is all that he says he is right now, and he can meet them in this place right now. He can minister to their hearts right now. Right now. Yes, just begin to pray. Keep praying. Keep praying. Keep praying as if you were up here and you wanted to see someone pray and lift you up. You wanted someone to support you in this moment.
sister just came up and just really felt from the Lord a word for everybody up here. My, my spirit bears witness with this word. In fact, I find that half the time when I have an opportunity to speak, the Lord says stuff in me and through me in this. And this might sound very simplistic, but I, we just talked about revelation. Somebody here needs to hear this word. God says, I'm not like your earthly father. I'm your heavenly father. Somebody needs to receive that this morning. I know Father's Day is next week. Maybe you'll have a testimony next week of what God has done. But somebody needs to receive that. It sounds so simple. Trust me, I know. The truth of God as Father in our lives can change everything. Can change everything. I just feel this really strongly. If I, if I could have any of our pastoral staff that's available, if you're available, if you could right now just begin to pray for people. Just feel that really strongly. There's a mantle upon the lives of some of, some of the, these pastors here. Just begin to lay hands on people and pray. I'm just going to take a couple more moments. I'm, I'm going I'm to release everybody and bless you. But right now, remember, you are here at the front acknowledging God. Even right now, I want you to do this. If you're up front, I want you to name how you feel. I don't care if you do it quietly. Name how you feel. What's the problem? What's the issue? What's going on? What do you lack peace about? What are you frustrated about? What are you scared of? What are you terrified about? What's your question? What's the decision you have to make? Name it. Say it out loud. Say it out loud. Speak forth whatever it is right now. Admit to it at the altar of God. This is my issue. This is where I am. This is what I'm dealing with. This is my struggle. Admit to it. Verbally say it. Verbally say it. Now, right now, what I want you to do, in some some physical way, I want you I want you to do something in the physical, and I want you, when you feel like it, to say to the Lord, God, I acknowledge you as the Lord above this circumstance. Right now, tell Him, tell Him, tell Him your 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 unconditional surrender. Your unconditional surrender means way more than a word that I could have for you. Saying, I surrender it to you, God. I acknowledge you. I acknowledge you in all of my ways. I acknowledge you above this circumstance. You're the God of the breakthrough. You're the God with the answer. You're the God who never runs dry. You're the God who is there for me every day, every moment. When I wake up, when I go to sleep, you are there. You're the God in the dead of night when I'm not even aware of it. God, we acknowledge you. Lord, I pray right now for every person who is at this altar. Lord, as they have taken control over the moment in their lives, I ask you, Lord, that you would touch them, Lord. Be the God who saves. Be the God who is mighty. Be the God who is strong. Be the God who is there. Be the God whose love manifests itself in amazing, incredible ways. Be the God, like Paul said, that has manifold wisdom. That wisdom would just open up like this huge roadmap over their lives in the name of Jesus as they acknowledge you. God, you're the master. You're the master. Just continue to take a moment at the front. I want to bless everybody else in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the name which is high and lifted up and exalted. I bless you, Victory Christian Center. I bless you to walk and to go forth and to respond to all that God has for you. I bless you to recognize that God is all that he says that he is. I bless you today that you would see him as an architect above your life that has a plan, that has a design, that has an idea and a vision for you. 
I bless you that you would submit to him and see him even that much more as, as the God who wants to grow in you, as the God who wants to see his plans come to fruition in everything that you're a part of. I bless you as you walk away today that you would walk out of this, this building in this room in a manner that is worthy of your calling, having the word of God stirred within you. I bless you to walk in his love. I bless you to walk in his peace. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. Amen. You need prayer to continue at the front. I encourage you to just remain just for a moment if you need to continue to acknowledge the Lord. We love you, family.